from KHOL. This is Jackson Unpacked, our weekly podcast on news, music, and culture in Jackson Hole and around the Mountain West. I'm reporter Hannah Mersbach. Coming up on today's show, bear-human conflict is a problem in communities across the Rockies. And biologists say there's often a common theme. It's really a human behavior issue. This is not about bears. This is about people. And in a time when books on Black history are getting banned across the country, Teton County Library is putting them on display. To come together as a community to talk about what our responsibilities are to each other at this point in American history. Those stories and more on today's show. The sounds of New Orleans came to Jackson this week for Mardi Gras. The performance was part of a new music therapy program for adults with disabilities. Its goal is to help participants with social skills and help them feel valued in the community. I followed that freeform parade. Sounds of guitars, kazoos, and tambourines fill the center for the yards one snowy morning as performers parade through the hallways. All right, who's ready for a Mardi Gras mambo? That's Tom Goikachea. He's wearing a green wig and a satin magenta jacket. He used to play jazz music in New Orleans. Now, Goikachea is a music therapist in Jackson. Today, he's leading the Silver Platters, a local band of adults with developmental disabilities. There's about 10 of them, decked out in purple, yellow, and green bead necklaces and bright colored boas. Robbie Marsh plays the harmonica. Marsh is a longtime client of Community Entry Services a nonprofit which tries to integrate people with disabilities into the community. The Silver Platters are a part of a new partnership between the nonprofit and Teton Music School. That school was born in 2019 out of the need for nonprofit music space in Jackson. Goikachea started the music therapy program about a year ago and holds practices every Wednesday morning. My general goals... Uh, maybe probably at the very basic level, it's just to improve mood with, with each of the folks. And then once, you know, the music makes them happy and we sing a bunch of all of their favorite songs, then they start to notice each other interacting in a different way as a group. The music therapy sessions are the only time all of the Wednesday clients come together and relate to one another. Goikachea adds that singing together helps the participants be part of something bigger. At public events like this, he says they feel proud to contribute to the greater community and feel valued. Liana Moskowitz with the Community Entry Services says this is something that isn't always easy for her clients. It's it's difficult for them to relate to um, sometimes each other, but a lot more in the larger community because they have different social nuances that sometimes people don't understand. And so to have that practice and then be able to replicate that in the community is really positive and, and we've definitely seen outcomes. 
Moskowitz adds that music therapy helps her clients communicate and express emotions. She says playing musical instruments also helps them improve their coordination. The performers make their way through the lobby and hallways, all the way upstairs to the Teton Music School. They pick up more smiling participants along the way from other organizations based in the Center for the Arts. Music school leader Amanda Flossbach says this is one of her favorite parts. I just love the invitation for everyone to participate in a thing, not to observe a thing, not to attend a concert that you consume, but like you are, you are the performer, you are the music in that moment. In the moments between the music, band members interact with other community members. Some people they know, and some are new friends. It's an opportunity for the people with disabilities to work on their social skills. Flossbach says the plan is to continue programs like this, making the music school space accessible for all. We are finding the ways in which our community needs music and very eager to say yes to those ways. As the event comes to a close, everyone takes a slice of king cake and performs one final song. Next up, books related to black history have been banned in libraries and schools nationwide amid debates over critical race theory. But Teton County Library is encouraging readers to still check out those kinds of books. In honor of Black History Month, staff displayed a selection of books by African-American authors. Curator Leah Schlechter says it's an opportunity to have critical conversations in a time when these books are hotly contested. She came into the KHOL studio to tell us more about how she selected those books. I wanted to bring contemporary uh, writers. I wanted to bring classic writers like Richard Wright and Maya Angelou, and then books that people are familiar with and also books they may not have heard of. And I deliberately chose authors that Teton County Library has brought here in the past. So we brought poet Claudia Rankin, and I brought put her book, uh, Citizen, out there. We had her several years ago. We also put out Tiana Clark, who is a poet, and um, her collection, I Can't Talk About the Trees Without the Blood, is featured on our display. And she was our last in-person presenter event that we had right before uh, COVID shut everything down. And she was brought in as part of our uh, Power Trip series, where we were investigating power from all different angles. And her topic was trauma and writing. And so it was kind of appropriate to have her right before we went into this huge period of collective trauma. We also have out on display Tracy K. Smith. We brought her when she was the Poet Laureate. And Roxanne Gay, who we had for Pitch to the Podium just last November. That's great that so many of these authors have actually been able to come here and connect with community members. Do you have a personal favorite out of the collection? 
I do really like Bell Hooks's communion. I thought that was really wonderful. A nice like feminist take on friendship and love. That was, I read that several years ago um, and it sticks with me. I mean, there were so many books that we could have included and I could have included a lot of our collection that we have, but there just wasn't enough space. A lot of critical race theory is getting challenged in high schools and stuff like that. So some of the books that are heavily challenged and being accused of teaching critical race theory, like the 1619 Project, which was curated by uh, Nicole Hannah-Jones uh, with the New York Times um, and Ibram X. Kendi's book, How to Be an Anti-Racist, and ta Coates's book, Between the World and Me. These are all books that um, some politicians are trying to ban from high school reading classes. So these are on display for anybody to read and give themselves more context into um, American history. Right. Yeah. As you bring up, you know, things like what kinds of books can be in libraries is a contentious subject right now when it comes to things involving critical race theory, touching on LGBTQ plus topics. Why is it still so important to be displaying these kinds of books in the library and, you know, putting them in front of community members? I think it's important to keep these books available for people to read so that we have an accurate depiction on, on American history and what is our history and to have books not written just about African-Americans, but by African-Americans. There's Black History Month, but this is the kind of books people can be reading all year long. Why is it, why do you think it's important for people to be engaging with this kind of content in every month of the year? These issues don't show up just in February, right? Like these are everyday issues for everyone. So these materials are available for people to check out all year long. The nationally renowned author and journalist Tanahasi Coates is scheduled to speak at the library in April. What should we expect from this? So that is our annual Page to the Podium event where we feature prominent authors and bring them to Jackson. And like I mentioned, we had Roxanne Gay as our last Page to the Podium author. Um, Tanahasi is scheduled to do a 10-minute reading. Uh, we booked him, I think it was 2019, so right before the pandemic. And then, so it's been a long time. We've had to reschedule for all these different reasons. So we're excited to finally bring him. Um, so I'm excited to have critical conversations in Jackson and push the work forward for equity and equality in terms of race and to come together as a community to talk about what our responsibilities are to each other at this point in American history. That was Leah Schlechter with the Teton County Library. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Jackson Unpacked from KHOL. I'm reporter Hannah Mersbach. And this is our podcast featuring reporting and interviews on news, music, and culture in Jackson Hole and around the Mountain West. New episodes of Jackson Unpacked drop most Fridays on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Coming up next, 
Communities across the West are looking for ways to stop bear-human conflicts. One potential solution, bear-resistant garbage cans. Teton County is now requiring residents to have this kind of trash can, along with other communities such as Steamboat Springs, Colorado. Research biologist Stuart Breck has been conducting research on black bears in urban areas in the region for over 18 years. He recently spoke about bear-human conflict at an event co-hosted by Aspen Public Radio in the Aspen Center for Environmental Studies. And this um, was an experiment where we really, all we wanted to, instead of trying to change people's behavior, we just wanted to know, like, if everybody used bear-resistant containers, what would happen? Like, would that really help? So we set up an experiment in Durango, and this is where the city of Durango was just so wonderful to work for, work with. Um, they were really supportive. They really helped us. We bought a thousand bear-proof containers, and we put them out in an experimental protocol. Some areas um, in green got all. Every resident got a container. The areas in pink and and uh, didn't get any containers. Okay, so we have this experimental design. It's not perfect, but it's pretty good, right? Again, the question was, what will happen to conflict? And the response variable, we were just measuring how often do bears get into garbage. And that's what we define as conflict. I'm gonna fly through some of the results. Here's the take home. Um, the experiment went from about 2013 through 2016. And the treatment really started about 2014, okay? Where we got all the garbage containers out. It wasn't until this year where we realized one of the problems with our experiment was the garbage containers that we gave out that were bear resistant required people latch them. Okay. So um, after we got that figured out, what we've seen is a real decrease in, in the conflict. All right. And conflict being um, you know, bears actually breaking in and getting to trash. We went back in 2021, we still see this, okay? Um, so it's a really effective way for dealing with this residential garbage issue. It doesn't address other aspects of like what's going on in downtown Aspen with this, you know, the restaurants and them um, producing really rich food and putting it, making it available for bears and not securing that. This is just one piece of the problem, but it's very compelling. So compelling that the city of Durango saw these results and then invested $600,000 to outfit the rest of the city with bear resistant garbage containers. And I've been criticized people like $600,000, that's a whole lot of money. And um, yeah, it is. But what kind of relationship do we want with bears? And in the scheme of things, how much are the people spending on this, this management strategy where bears come into town and all the CPW time, all their energy, I bet you the trade-off is, is probably very much in favor of buying garbage cans, okay? No one's done the economics or the cost-benefit on that, but um, that's just the cost-benefit. There's a lot of reasons to do that kind of move that direction. And, and to Aspen's credit, I know 
there's been a lot of efforts to move that way and been some real progress there since we've last. So I'm not criticizing Aspen saying they haven't done that, but um, I think there's more work to do here. Here's a take home. It's really a human behavior issue. This is not about bears. This is about people. If we want to really reduce this problem, it's about what we do. And it's about how we want to manage um, our, our foods that are very attractive to bears. The science is not going to solve this problem. Um, I'm not going to solve this problem. Um, you know, and we don't need inflated egos and we don't need this kind of rhetoric that um, just makes people feel bad, things like that. What we need is a, a community that comes together, makes decisions that are beneficial, not only for the bears, but I think for, for the town itself. There's a lot of reasons to, to have a cleaner city. Um, and so I think that's the message. Uh, science will not solve this problem. You guys are gonna solve this problem. Some of it has been solved. You know, you guys have done good work here. In my opinion, there's more work to be done, um, important work, and the problem is garbage, it's not bears. That was wildlife biologist Stuart Breck. His talk was shared with us via Rocky Mountain Community Radio, a network of public media stations in Colorado, Wyoming, Utah, and New Mexico, including KHOL. We'll wrap up today's show with the sounds of Do Re Mi. Kids with the Off Square Theater Company came into the KHOL studio to sing the song ahead of their premiere of the classic Sound of Music. Let's start at the very beginning, a very good place to start. When you read, you begin with A, B, C. When you sing, you begin with Do, Re, Mi. Do, Re, Mi. Do, Re, Mi. The first three notes just happen to be. Make it easier for you. Listen. Do a deer, a female deer, ray a drop of golden sun. Me a name I call myself. Fall a long, long way to run. So a needle pulling thread. La a note to follow soon. What you call a song? Do, re, mi, fa, so, and so on? No. Do, re, mi, fa, so, and so on are only the tools we use to build the song. Once we have these notes in our head, then we can sing a million different tunes. How? By mixing them up. Listen. So, do, la, fa, mi, do, re. Now you try it. So, do, la, fa, mi, do, re. So, do, la, ti, do, re. So do la ti do re do. Now let's put it all together. So do la.
mean anything. So we put in words. One word for every note. One word for every note. Yes, Brigida, I did. But when you sing anything, you're using up three notes for one word. Yes, that's right. Well, sometimes we do that. All together now. And when you know the notes to in Osquare Theatre Company's Sound of Music. That's it for today on Jackson Unpacked. Original music for this show is performed by the local band Strombucket. I'm Hannah Mersbach, and this is KHOL Jackson. Jackson.